0: Today we celebrate dads, and everything that makes them awesome. Dads are men, real men. They like their coffee black, their meat red, and their jeans blue. They're masters of the grill, the remote, and embarrassing their teenagers. They collect power tools like it's a hobby, and think a vegan is something on Star Trek. But underneath that gruff exterior shell is a harder, gruffier shell. But underneath that shell is a warm, gooey, soft spot that comes with being a dad. The part that makes him tear up at episodes of Extreme Home Makeover, or become emotionally invested in his six-year-old daughter's soccer pitch. And though he has the fashion sense of a tourist, he's always up for an impromptu fashion show starring his little princess. Dad brings home the bacon, eats the bacon, and thankfully doesn't do much of the bacon. He can fix anything with a can of WD-40 and a roll of duct tape. Or a little advice at just the right time. So today we say thank you, Dad. Thanks for all the corny jokes and the fun times. Thanks for teaching us how to build stuff, hunt stuff, fix stuff, throw stuff, play stuff, and do stuff. But most importantly, thanks for teaching us who to be. We can never repay you for all you do. But at least we got you a new tie. Happy Father's Day.
1: happy father's day yeah so somebody says yeah i got my jeans on that's right i got my jeans on my favorite pair of jeans i don't know if they're the favorite but they're a good pair of jeans hey um not only is it can you bring me down a little bit or fix that cool um got a little bit of feedback see if we can grab that cool so, hey, happy Father's Day. Some great things are happening. So glad to see you in person. Some of you are watching in person. Some of you are watching online. Hey, I want to let you know this is our first time we're experimenting with streaming. So we're actually streaming right now, real time. Danny's back there experimenting. He's the goofy-looking dude right there. See him? And uh, he's, he's actually checking out the feed, making sure it's working great. And so exciting things are happening. Our hope is that as we get better and better at that, we'll actually get back to actually having Sunday morning service and streaming that to people that are not yet ready to attend. And so that'll happen very soon. So that's exciting. And so I wanted to tell um, not only the dads in the room, but also our tech team, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing because I know you guys are working really, really, really hard and we appreciate it. There's also another tech team that you don't see up in the upper room, cool place, huh? That's actually doing the broadcast for the internet. So it's a lot of cool stuff. Now for fathers, here's what I need you to do. If you're a dad, I need you to fill out a connect card this week. So send me an email and let me know. So on the Connect card, there's a special place. They'll say, I'm a dad. You checked it off. All we need is your email. So moms, last time we did Mother's Day, I had to have your address to send you a Rita's card. Dads, we're sending you something special that's a gift by email. So as long as I have your email, I'll be able to get you that gift. I don't want to spoil it, but it will involve you putting in um, good teeth to choose something really good that you'll go out and eat. So make sure you send me that. So we've been finishing the book of James. This is what we're doing this last series on this book of James. If you've got a Bible, pull it out. You can use your phone. And let me just give you a brief overview of what we've been doing with the book of James. The first week we talked about what is vital. And there are certain things that are vital to the faith. And that's what the book of James is really written about is what is vital. Some of the things that have been coming out of that over the last few weeks are our prayer life, our devotion life, our group life, and our relationships with other people, especially in regards to Bible study. We talked about the importance of integrity, being double-minded was one of the things that we hit, Um, watching our words and how our words impact people, both in social media and posts, but also in one to the other and how to encourage each other. And so this last week, week seven, we're going to look at 2020 vision and how important it is to have the right vision, the right lens over top of the world in which we live. Now, I don't know if you know this or if you've thought about this, but the lens that you and I have shapes the world and how we see it. And that lens has been shaped by parents. That lens has been shaped by school. That lens has been shaped by you know, uh, friends. It's been shaped by social media. It's been shaped by what news agencies we listen to. All those things tend to, over time, shape the lens that we see the world through. And when we're looking at James in this passage, what we begin to understand is he wants to bring us back to how it should be shaped, how certain things should have a response. And you'll know that your lens is right if when you see these things, you have these same spiritual responses. So let's look at that together and we're gonna be in James chapter five. We're gonna start with verse 13 and we're gonna go down through 20. So if you got a Bible, open that up, listen to this. Are any of you suffering hardships? I bet a lot of people would amen after that one statement. You should pray. Are any of you happy? wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky uh, sent down rain, (laughs) like tonight if you're watching on Saturday night, and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. What an interesting part of James as he kind of ends this, you know, book, and he's talking to the church. And so when we were thinking about how this shapes our lens, we were thinking about and praying about how to present this to you, we came up with a very simple phrase you've probably heard, which was, I was once blind, but, you know, I see, right? There's something about the way people of faith see, isn't there? They see very differently than people that are either struggling with faith or they don't have faith. That's what's called a Christian worldview. It changes the way we think. I was talking to someone this week um, who was struggling with a specific area of marriage. You probably have probably, if you've got friends that are married, you probably have these conversations too, right? It's not unusual for people who've been married a little while to find a struggle, right? If you haven't had a struggle and you've been married for a while, I'm not sure you're really married, right? It's a normal part of the pathway. But as we were talking about the struggles that we've all had, as we were paring those down. It was interesting because the worldview in which we were approaching the two issues was very different. This person was thinking about how that person just did not meet their needs and how those weren't meeting as whole. And we began to talk about how different that is from the worldview or the lens of a marriage where I say, okay, you know, as a Christian man, how do I, talking about Father's Day and being a Christian husband, how do I serve my wife the way Christ served the church? And this was something that it was very different between the two of us, and that's because our lenses are very different. And that's true of all of us. Sometimes you've got an angle on something biblically that I haven't quite absorbed yet, and your lens is focused in the right way. You've got 20-20 on it, but I might have a distorted view. I might have something that's wrong. And so this last section, James is trying to help us test that. Do we have the right view? So let's go through these. It's just what he shared. The first one was hardship, right? And so where there's hardship, he said there should be prayer. When there's hardship in your life, the first response should be prayer. Are you suffering any hardships? You should pray. You see, prayer is vital to sight. Have you figured that out yet? When you're suffering, usually what we want, though, is just a way out. But not every open door that's presented to us, especially in those seasons of suffering and doubt and struggle, is the right door to walk through. And so a lot of times if we go by our own sight and our own experience and those things— it gets distorted. Our vision's not nearly as good as God's, and He's way ahead of us. And so when you think about that, we need His vision. And the way that you get God's vision is through prayer. You see, He already knows where you are, where you've been, and what's about to happen. You know, when I first got here, there was an intense prayer movement that preceded me. And one of the things that I think is so unusual about it um, and and actually really encouraging about that, is the prevailing wisdom on how to revitalize a church, right, was, hey, what you do, church, is you shut the whole thing down, and you take all the assets, you sell all of those, you put all those into a new church plant from some person you've never met in a group that's going to come in, and then they're going to replant, restart the church, and everything's going to be hunky-dory, right? Right? That's the prevailing wisdom of how to do something called replanting or revitalization. But this church prayed, and they prayed earnestly through this hardship. And it allowed God the space to say, maybe there's something different I want to happen. Maybe there's a way to have collaboration with existing leaders and collaboration with a new pastor with vision, and that we can move forward in a way that maybe we don't get to see as often. This is why prayer is so integral. When you're facing giants in your life, you need to pray. You need to pray first, and you need to pray often. You know, all of us have, a, have a, a been in the condition, we've been conditioned to first really try to find what's the wisdom, and what we really need to learn to do is to pray. And it doesn't matter if you're someone that's coming from the lens of liberal, the lens of conservative, the lens of progressive, the lens of reserve. You need prayer and prayer should be your first response. Uh, when I was studying about creativity, you ever study creativity, like just study the process of creativity? It's a pretty a fun process, especially if you're an artist, right? You know that artists find themselves in ruts? Did you know that? They find ruts, they play the same licks all the time, they play the same music all the time, they like the same music types all the time, right? You, you know, people are this way too, right? We get in ruts. And have you ever seen the side of a hill that's been freshly grassed, you ever seen that? They also wear ruts, right? And if you just put fresh seed on that hill, what happens when it starts to wear ruts? It washes it out, right? So what do people do? They throw bales in there, right? They throw bales and straw on top of that. And what it does is it makes things slow down a little bit, absorb a little bit different. And this is one of the things that you do when you're an artist is you try to figure out things that you can throw into the process that might change it just a little bit to slow you down to think. I think God designed this in this way through the process of prayer. In my own life, this is one of the ways it's played out. As a young person struggling with my faith, and I was reading the Bible, I came across an interesting passage about the Tower of Babel. Anybody read about this one? Sounds like Babel to you, right? But the Tower of Babel. And so I'm reading this, and as a young person trying to read the Bible, not very strong in my faith, I began to struggle with it because I'm like, why would God confuse the languages of the world. Now, the lens by which that I had over top of it was not one that I went to prayer first, I went to my intellect first. And so I thought, you know, language is one of the reasons why we have so many wars, right? So many conflicts. We don't have a common language by which to bond over culture. And I began to use all the things I'd been taught, all the things in school, all the things of intellect. And it really made me struggle with even seeing what this passage had to do. Until I finally came to a, a, a better place, a more mature place in my life, I started to pray about the passage first. And then as I prayed and I meditated about the passage in Genesis about the Tower of Babel, I began to see things I hadn't seen before, like the fact that, why were they trying to build this big old tower with Babel? Oh, well, it was about their pride. It was about their own recognition. And the more I dug into it, I realized, wait a minute, the whole point of what was happening in this passage was the people of that day in that culture said, we can have a great culture without God. We're not dependent. We don't need them. We can get it done. We're smart enough. We're good enough. We're talented enough. And there is such a huge principle in there. When you slow down, you put that bale of prayer in there, and you begin to think about what's really under all of this. And it began to change my perspective. So I think James, when he says this, when he says, are you suffering hardship? Are you going through something? Pray. That's the first thing we should do. The second thing is happiness should elicit praise, right? Happiness should elicit praise, are you happy? You should praise. Why do you sing in church? Have you ever thought about that? You just finished a worship service. Why do you sing? Why don't you sing? You ever thought about that one? Does it have to do with the tune that's in your heart? You ever been around someone that whistles while they work? Okay, that's not just a movie, right? Or someone that just has this joyous persona about them? There's something about the joy that's supposed to be inside of us that elicits a response that's a response that's artistic, whether it's poetry that we write down or music in which we sing. You know, I love the, anybody like the blues? I've always loved the blues. You like, you know, the phrase behind the blues, right? What is the blues? It's just a good man feeling bad. So it's interesting. I think that this idea of praise, of worship is connected to mood. It certainly is connected to mood. You know, when I'm sad, this is something that's really different about my wife and I. I don't know if you're this way. When I'm sad, I want to listen to sad music. Is anybody there with me? When I'm sad, I want to commiserate. That's like the book of Lamentations. I want to commiserate with sad music. My wife's like, what is wrong with you? If we're already down, why are you going to listen to music that's going to bring you down further? I'm like, I just relate to it. That guy is singing what I'm feeling. I want to hear that. And it's just, that's the blues. She's like, I need some pick-me-up music but I'm feeling down. I think she's right in a lot of ways. But there's sometimes I just need to commiserate for a little while. But you're supposed to come out of that at some point. And music certainly has, especially music, worship, has the ability to change your mood and your perspective. So what keeps people from singing? I think sometimes it's their mood. It's something that's just off. One of the songs that I've grown to love and uh, Brent Wilhelm and I got when we first got into the COVID thing and we got to sing this from home and get some worship songs from home, uh, Gwyneth's like, pick whatever you want. So we picked older music to us. Probably wasn't old enough for some and for uh, some of our younger artists, they'd never heard it, but we picked a song called How Can I Keep From Singing by Chris Tomlin. And the reason I love this song is the bridge gets me in the heart every time I hear it. It When he gets to the bridge, he says, I can sing in the troubled times... Sing when I win. I can sing when I lose my step and I fall down again. I can sing because you pick me up. Sing because you're there. I can sing because you hear me, Lord, when I call to you in prayer. I can sing with my last breath. Sing for I know that I'll sing with the angels and the saints around the throne. You know, I couldn't sing this song for a whole year because it was the last um, song my father... My father-in-law sang before he died of a massive heart attack at a men's retreat. And every time I'd hear that, I knew he was literally experiencing that I'll sing with the angels and the saints around the throne now in reality. It, I commiserated for a while over it. But then after I got to think about it for a while, now it brings great joy to my heart when I sing this song. Even when I don't feel like it and I sing the song, it changes my perspective. It changes my joy. Let me challenge you, if you've been low lately, if you've been commiserating lately, if things have gotten you down lately, can I ask you to try something maybe you've never done before? Listen to Christian music for one week, with nothing else allowed in. I'm, I'm OK with I like good music. doesn't matter where it comes from. You all know that. I like good music. I listen to everything. But there's sometimes I just need to listen to praise and worship music. It's the only thing I need to take in because it literally changes my mood. It changes what's happening. So once I was blind, and now I see. When you have hardship, people that have the right vision, they pray. When you have people that are happy, they sing. And you know what the last thing is? When you have sin and sickness, our response should be prayer and confession. Prayer and confession. It's interesting he spends the most time on this one, isn't it? He spends a lot of time on this. Are you sick? Then have the elders of the church come and pray over you, anointing you with oil. He says this prayer of faith will change the actual situation. Now let me talk about sin for a second because we don't like the word sin. A lot of us don't. If you're a Christian, maybe you've you've wrestled with it a little bit. If you've not been a Christian or you're struggling with Christianity, sin's something that really bothers us. Let me just define sin in a very simple way for you. It's the little I in the middle of the S and the N. It's whenever we make life about us, I, whenever we think that the world revolves around me instead of around what God's doing, what God wants to do. You know, that's the very reason that sin comes into the world, right? With Adam and Eve, is they made the whole garden, the whole situation, God's one commandment about them. You know, the moment I have this fruit that I've been told I can't have is the moment my eyes will be opened and I'll be like, God, let me make it all about me. And that's what makes sin, sin. Jewish thinkers understood this, and they were very deep, uh, deep into that. In fact, they believed there was a direct connection to sin and a result. Now, I think they went too far with that understanding because they would think, like, if this person sinned, they had, like, this, uh, you know, like the karma thing going. You do this, then this happens, right? In fact, it went so far in John 9 that they asked Jesus, right? They said, hey, who sinned, this guy that was born blind, his mom or dad? Like, why is this guy born blind? Because sin's the direct result, you know. Of sickness. And they connected these two together. But what they didn't understand is yes, in general, sin brings disease and unhealth and all of that into our life. But it's not like a one to one ratio. I do this and then this happens. It's a general, overarching principle. Some of you who are on Facebook with me, realize I lost um, my dog uh, last week. That was one of the hardest things I've ever been through. Losing people is far harder, obviously, but some of you, if you're close to a pet and you've got a pet that that's your pet, that's my pet, this was tough. And uh, one of the things I thought about which made it so hard when we had to put this dog down was, you know, this dog and every living thing cries out for redemption. That from the fall of man and our sinful nature, we've impacted everything around us. So the ultimate cause of my dog dying when I start to really ponder it is, my own sin. Not that I did something God said, let me curse you for that. But in general, we as a people make life about us. And that sin permeates to every living thing. The Bible says that all of creation cries out for the return of Jesus to make everything normal again. Back to God's Design And this was a general principle that the Jewish rabbis understood and it's happening in this particular passage of the book of James. And that's just something when you think about it, I'm like, wow, it just really starts to help you understand the gravity and the weight of sin. So when you think about the right lens around something and you think about sin, think about it from this perspective. Why do people do drugs? Why do they do drugs? Because they think they can find pleasure and gratification apart from God. It's an I. Why do people have a love for money? The Bible does not say money's wrong, but the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Why? Because they think they can actually have dependence apart from God. They can be not dependent upon God. They can just rely on their own resources. That's where the love of money becomes a problem. Why do people think it's okay to be in non-marital relationships? Because they think they can have the benefits, Right? without the godly covenant. Friends with benefits, right? Why do people have racism right now in this world? Because they've lost the view of what the image of God is. When you and I look at people, regardless of color, creed, and background, if we have a biblical lens, what we should see is the image of God. What do you say? I created all men And women, right? In my image. And when you start to look at people with that kind of lens, you understand sin is what has distorted all this. It changes who you are. And that new lens begins to bring you to the place of where you need to be. And that only happens through confession, through prayer. That's why he says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. And he's specifically talking mainly about the connection of sin and how it intermingles with all these problems. The problem with confession is it's very humbling, isn't it? That's why I love recovery. If you've never been in a recovery ministry or checked it out, you should check out our recovery ministry. It happens every Thursday. It's online. If you want to check it out online, um, it's on Wednesday now, right? You switched it. Just check the website. It'll change. <laughs> so, but they're starting in-person meetings again. But when, you know what step one is in the recovery process? Admit that I am powerless without God to deal with whatever this issue is. I need God. I'm dependent upon God. This is more than I can handle. And that's why confession is such an important thing. See, I think the Catholic Church got this right in a way of confessing sins to one another. What they got wrong was you got to go to this priest to get it, right? That's where it went wrong. But we have this need of confession to be real with each other. This is one of the things I do with my small group, with my growth group. There's moments it gets very uncomfortable with them because this is something I want to practice in my life. And There's moments I'll look to them and say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm trying to wrestle through. Here's what's really painful right now, and I don't know what to do with it. And I need prayer, and I need help. And there's some of this is my own fault, and it's I need to confess it. And when you get to this place... God begins to move in some very unusual ways. This is one of the reasons why you need a growth group, a Bible study, a place of connection. When you have that, you build relationships with people. Then you say, I can confess this to them. And even within that circle, there's certain things you can only confess to certain people that you've built an intimacy with. But I love this last part. It's so kind of interesting how James just throws Elijah into the pool, right? He says, Elijah was as human as we are, and yet he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, and it didn't, and then he prayed, and it did, right? Did you know that Elijah never actually prayed for rain? So is James wrong? Go back and check it. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 17 through 18, you will find no reference where it says Elijah prayed and it rained or it stopped. What you find is that Elijah shows up and he says, "I declare to you what the Lord said, it's not going to rain or it is now going to rain." What's interesting about the fact that he connects this idea of sin and sickness and prayer and confession, and then he jumps to Elijah, as I think he was trying to show us something that we miss about prayer. Prayer's not about you either. It's about hearing the voice of God. And then when God says, this is what I want to do in this situation, then you become his mouthpiece. That's what prayer really looks like. It's ask God for what burdens you, but listen to what God wants. And then when God speaks, don't be afraid to speak it. This is why how we come into faith is like that. We admit, right, our sin before God. We believe only on God's solution. Through the Bible, his only solution is Jesus Christ paying for our sins and our debt. And then we commit our life to him. The way you come to faith is the way you continue faith. Lord, I'm struggling, fill in the blank. Okay, what do I need to admit before you that I'm sinful about in this situation? Or where sin has impacted this situation? I need to admit that before you. We need to come into agreement. God, show me how to come into agreement. Now, let me believe on what your word says regarding this specific situation. And then I need the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit to commit my life to this. The same way you come to faith is the same way you continue in faith. So this week, especially on Father's Day, I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you invite a runaway to come home? Based on these principles, this lens, would you invite a runaway to come home? He says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you who was wandered from the truth and is brought back, what does he say? You can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from their wandering covers over that death and covers over those sins. We need each other, and we need people to look into our lives and say, there's something wrong, there's something off. Let me look to that brother. And when he's specifically talking about this, he's specifically talking about Christians. Believers that we see that go, something's not right. I need to talk to that person. I need to bring him back. Now, why does he say brings death? Because the consequence of sin is still death. While we might have heaven for sure, the consequence of sin still brings death into the moment. And this passage, for some of you that are thinking and trying to wrestle with it, maybe even reading the Bible, you're thinking, does this passage essentially say that you can lose your faith? And the answer is no, it doesn't. In fact, Ephesians 2, which is a great passage you should memorize 8 and 9, says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, right? It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So this passage in combination with those two when you put them together, it's saying that the consequence of sin still affects us in our lives. And when you see a brother or a sister who is wandering in the faith, they've strayed to a place they shouldn't, there's gonna be natural consequences of sin that will actually come into their life and people around them, bringing them back, brings life back into the situation and it brings them back to wholeness. And that's why he's saying it's one of the best things we can do. I'll send you a link on that through email to help give you clarity. So, I believe this is what God wants us to do to get a better lens. Would you agree? Especially pray, praise, and to confess our sins to each other, especially when we fall short. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for James, for these last words that help us to understand what it means to have the right lens, to have 2020 vision. To have a biblical lens which changes our perspective on the world and our perspective on how we should treat one another and love you. God, let us be reminded that we have to continue to admit and believe and commit our lives to you. This is how we begin a relationship with you, and it's how the perfecting process of our character continues to work itself out. Help us to take the focus off of us and put it on to you and what you want to do. We know when we do this that we see the greatest benefit not only in the world but in our own lives and death is pushed away and life is brought near. In Jesus' name, amen.